From the Tulsa World, this is the OU Sports Extra Podcast, sponsored by Albert G's Barbecue. Here are your hosts, Eric Bailey and Mason Young. Oklahoma tries to break a two-game losing streak and faces West Virginia at home. A lot of questions, a lot of maybe even doubts among Sooner Nation. Hello, it's Eric and Mason breaking down everything Oklahoma football. We'll throw in a little basketball, a little bit of softball toward the end of this, too. We don't want to forget those sports who who, who have also started are starting up and uh, signing a lot of good players uh, this week as well. But let's start with football, Mason. This has been crazy. You know, two weeks ago at this time, uh, you know, we wondered what was going to happen with Oklahoma in terms of the college football playoff with the Big 12 championship, maybe even, you know, easily making a New Year's Six Bowl. Two losses later, there's so much work ahead of them. There's so many questions. It's, it's you know, it, it's almost like a free fall. And it's just not what you expected after a 7-0 start. Certainly, it really is perplexing just how how they've dropped these past two games from, you know, mistakes on offense, fumbles against Oklahoma State, to not capitalizing and, and converting third downs in key situations to, uh, players and even coaches playing undisciplined, getting, uh, you know, two consecutive games with a penalty on the sideline on a coach and uh, Brent Venables being the latest one to pick one up in Bedlam. So it just, it seems like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. You also think about the injuries, not having Danny Stutzman in Bedlam and Gentry Williams getting banged up, Tommy Walker not being at full strength, how these things have affected OU the past two games. But by and large, uh, more more than uh, injuries, OU has has defeated itself these past two weeks. You know, you're right. It's a lot of self-inflicted wounds. We mentioned the penalties, the, the six turnovers over the past two two games after having seven in the first uh, six games. I mean, it, it's it's been nuts with how this has all played out. Uh, and you know the the key target going into this was is was the key target last week. Uh, it's uh, offensive coordinator Jeff Levy. I mean, it just seems like everyone's coming right at Jeff uh, for the play calling, and you know it, it's fair. It's fair game because we've seen you know that Oklahoma's offense just not play, plays at all against Kansas, not be aggressive, and then they showed a little bit more aggressiveness against Oklahoma State, but just never could get into rhythm, especially in that second half. Uh, maybe a little cute at times with the fumble, uh, the first turnover, the Oklahoma State game. So, you know, when things are going great, everyone's praising you. But when things are going wrong, boy, you better get ready to take some bullets. And that's kind of what Jeff Levy is facing right now. Um, I was just really surprised with how Brent Venables, during his radio show, this is something that happened this week, during his radio show, uh, he was asked about the fourth down call uh, that didn't get first down yardage really essentially into the game for the Sooners. And Brent Venable said uh, there's probably a Rolodex of better plays to call on that fourth down play. And that was Monday night. So on Tuesday, when we had an opportunity to ask him and kind of elaborate on that, too, of course, when he said that, uh, Brent said, I moved on to West Virginia. He did not want to answer that question, did not want to bring that up again. But I thought it was interesting what he said on Monday night, and I'm kind of disappointed that, you know, what he said on Monday night didn't go over to Tuesday when he was going to face a little bit harder questions. He tried to try to move move the, the narrative on. Yeah, I think he realizes he made a mistake. You know, I think he got a little bit loose up there on stage during his coach's show and kind of honestly threw Jeff Levy under the bus a little bit. And I think he, you know, just wanted to move on and put that behind him. 
uh, obviously part of the issue, this all goes back to right after the game, Brent said he liked the play call. And I guess, you know, something when he watched the tape over, you know, something must have changed. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it's been not a great look uh, in terms of a lot of the answers we've been getting lately. You think about the, the aborted snaps, you know, Andrew Rain the other night talking after practice, like he really couldn't give us a straight answer. He He was saying that, uh, oh, something along the lines of I'm getting a lot of answers from different answers from my people about what happened there. Uh, I, whether it's you know him him not thinking it was his fault, him not wanting to throw other people on the bus or under the bus if it was somebody else's fault, but uh, there's there's really just not people aren't stepping up and taking accountability for the mistakes that are happening on offense right now. It's 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 just a really weird. Uh, tone that the players and coaches have struck uh, over these past two weeks with everything kind of going up in flames. This week, we got to spend 24 minutes with Dylan Gabriel, which is probably a season high during the player availability on Monday night. Uh, well, wait, before you start on that, let's talk a little bit about Brent's answer. This is something I did want to want to touch upon. There was a reason Bob Stoops, when he was head coach here, moved his his Tuesday press conferences to Monday. Because by Tuesday, he was ready to move on to the next opponent. Uh, and But if something bad happened over the weekend, everyone wanted to know what happened on the past game because it was our real first time to do a deep dive into the, the past game. So Bob Stoops got tired on Tuesdays of having press conferences, looking back instead of looking ahead. So that was one of the main reasons why Bob Stoops moved his press conference from Tuesday to Monday. And you just wonder if Brent you know, in years to come may do that too, because a lot of times when things don't go right, uh, everyone wants to know why. And by Tuesday, it's three days after the fact and these coaching staff, they're ready to move on. They don't want to live in the past. They've already talked with their team so much about what happened and what went wrong. Uh, but now it's the first time to get the media's questions about that. And I think, I just wonder in the future if Brent will move his, his uh, press conference day to Mondays because of that, similar to what Coach Stoops did. We had a chance to talk 24 minutes with Dylan Gabriel, and I will say this, it was probably the best interview we've had with Gabriel, bar none. I mean, of course, we hit him up with about 10 minutes of really, 10 to 12 minutes of hard questions, uh, you know, putting the offense under the microscope. But then we had 12 minutes of just candid talk with him, talking about his future, talking about Hawaii, talking about, you know, what's what his next step is. Uh, it was really, really refreshing to talk about that too and I know it's been a tough couple of weeks for Dylan Gabriel as well uh and uh we're talking to Dylan Gabriel about the offense more than we're talking to the offensive coordinator which is really strange but Dylan Gabriel has been really really mature about everything with all his answers probably the one thing that I kind of get out of this is we learn more about his thoughts on the offense by what he doesn't say whenever we ask about the state of you know play calling maybe or you know what's going on with the offense he really throws the ball in everyone else's court and says that's for everyone else to determine. That's for everyone else to decide. He doesn't really share his own thoughts. So it makes you just wonder, what is he thinking about what's going on with this offense? I, I just, I'm really curious about it. Yeah, I mean, to some of the points we've already made, right, this entire thing just feels like it's kind of in a, a state of confusion. Uh, just... The rhythm is off, and I know Brent Venables, you know, talked about this yesterday. He doesn't feel like uh, this team has lost its edge per se, uh, but you do kind of have to wonder it, 
about that still like it just doesn't it doesn't feel like they're playing as as fearless and free as they were you know early in the season when they were on that great run just uh you know just playing really just playing with, with no concerns at all and uh now that they've hit these last two losses it it seems like they're a little bit tighter um I do definitely, you know, you were talking about, I, I give props to Dylan Gabriel for spending that much time, you know, with the media this week and and just seems like, you know, his spirits are still high and he's really ready to move on. But, you know, the fact that uh, a lot of other people, uh, you know, aren't necessarily coming around him is, is uh, it's mildly concerning. I will say though, Drake Stoops, Drake Stoops this week had, you know, a lot of good things to say talking about how, there's still uh, a lot to play for. And, you know, obviously he's uh, someone who has been through these situations before, been through the fire and seen a lot of uh, teams in this program that had some tough losses that they had to try to work back from. And, uh, you know, he, it sounds like he's doing everything he can as well, uh, you know, to lead this team forward, regardless of, you know, just how confusing or kind of disheveled things at large, you know, may seem right now. You know, all you have to do, and Brent Venables has mentioned this time and time again during his press conference, and it, it, the numbers speak for themselves, uh, the turnovers. That's what's killing Oklahoma, of course, in the last two games with six turnovers after having six in the first seven games. Uh, and, and those turnovers turn into points. They turn into short fields. And, and Oklahoma has really was really doing good taking care of the football. Now they, they, they're having key turnover, critical turnovers that they're not able to overcome what's happening too. So we've seen that in the last two losses. That's something that needs to be fixed. Um, going back to the offense as well, I think, and this goes without saying, Andrew Anthony, and Brent, Brent did mention it, his his loss has probably taken more of an impact on this offense than we thought it would. Of course, you're never going to be in a good place when you lose your top, re- top receiver. Uh, but I think just finding answers for his loss has really been difficult since since he went out in the Texas game. I think that's something else. One one bright spot, though, on offense has been the play of Gavin Salchuk. Uh, we saw him really run well. We saw the long touchdown run, longest play from scrimmage this season against Oklahoma State. And if you're Oklahoma, you want to build upon that. Uh, we see a Tawi Walker, who's still not 100%, but did practice on Monday as well. Uh, score, you know, give some late runs and, and, you know, almost like a closer type guy. Maybe that's good. We still don't know about Marcus Major's injury status. Uh, Javante Barnes only played two plays and it's, it's really just been a lost season for Javante with his health and, and really just, there was been no flow on that running backs room. It's been kind of, kind of really interesting how they've not used their running backs this year. So it's, it's kind of been tough for Javante. You feel for him in that case, but if you can get, this stretch run, if you get Gavin Salchuk and uh, and Tawi Walker to play well, and if you find that receiver, if they, you just need guys to step up. I mean, Drake Stoops was amazing against Oklahoma State, but you need more efforts like that across the board. You need, and I thought this was interesting too, Mason. Brent mentioned drop passes. I mean, that's something that he's really never mentioned all year. But he, t- he we got to catch the ball. He said. And uh, it, it goes back, you think about Brennan Thompson on that fourth down play. Uh, you think of Nick Anderson, the ball going right through his arms when he beat his defender on a deep ball. Uh, little things like that add up. You know, they may you may not think of about it on that one snap, but they add up quickly. And, and this offense just needs to get more rhythm overall. Yeah, to, to the point of running backs, I kind of wonder if they made a mistake by not going ahead and redshirting Javante Barnes because – 
you know, now he really hasn't been able to be effective all year because of his health. And, and now, you know, he's going to lose a year of eligibility to, you know, not exactly a banner year for him, but you're right. Uh, you know, Tommy Walker and Gavin Sawchuk should be the guys moving forward and they should ride with those guys and continue to develop them and, and give them valuable reps. And I think the thing that helps too is uh, they played the, the entirely same offensive line the rest the entirety of the game in bedlam that's the first time that they've really had full offensive line continuity you know since probably the season opener you know Caden Green has obviously stepped in at left guard to replace Savion Bird and the other you know four starters are the same as they were at the beginning of the season and those guys you know range snaps aside have been uh have been really solid and so you know, that's probably the group you need to continue to ride with and and just, you know, let them go open up holes for your running backs. So I guess maybe that is encouraging, that part that, you know, they really got the run game going. Uh, but looking at wide receivers, right, uh, you know, I, I would still like to see them rotate guys. You know, it was mostly, it really was mostly almost all Drake Stoops, Jalil Farouk, and, and Nick Anderson in Bedlam. Uh, Brendan Thompson did get some opportunities and, uh, you know, you mentioned one that, that kind of hurt where he didn't exactly capitalize, but I still think with his speed, you know, he's an element that they, they don't have. Uh, it hurts that he's a little bit undersized. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, Dylan Gabriel throws one up to him in double coverage. He's not going to win that against two defensive backs that are bigger than him. But, uh, you know, I, I still think, you know, he can be, he's shown with a couple plays and the limited opportunities he's got that he can be a downfield threat for this team. Maybe not quite as, as, consistent as Andrew Anthony was but uh you know still still a pretty good piece and you know now that you're getting to the point where there's only so many games left in the season um and, and you can maybe you know use some guys they haven't used as much and still preserve a red shirt I wonder if within the next maybe not necessarily this week but maybe within the next couple of weeks we might see uh more of Jaquez Petaway I mean I I just think he's somebody that obviously with his speed and and just his ability to you know he seems like he's a pretty good route runner and he's he's always in the the right spots at the right time um you know he's somebody that that they might be able to use a little bit more in the stretch one run and and still preserve uh, his red shirt I also think uh I'm really tired of seeing a tight end out there like I just I just don't I just the tight end sets just really have not been providing a lot of value for them. You know, Austin Stogner and Blake Smith, well, Blake Smith, first of all, only played like three snaps, I think in Bedlam, like it's been pretty much all Austin Stogner for several weeks now. And, you know, the, the blocking is supposed to be his strength, but he's still getting beat on blocks and he's not really doing anything in the passing game. Uh, I wonder if, if finally maybe, and there's no telling whether or not we will, this is not like a, a presumption or any intel or anything, but I'd like to see some more four wide sets. I think I think that that gives you the opportunity uh, on passing downs to put your your best playmakers on the field. And uh, you know, obviously, if you if you get a group of Drake Stoops, Jalil Farouk, Nick Anderson, and and Brendan Thompson uh, out there on the field at the same time, you know, that's a lot of quality weapons. It's a lot of different types of weapons with different skill sets that you know a defense has to account for so uh would like to see some of that going forward we'll see if they make it happen let's uh move over to the defense uh it's time to buy stock in kip lewis and kobe mckenzie 
those two played outstanding. They're getting more snaps. Uh, and, you know, linebacker play has been so important to the Sooners, especially when you're lacking Danny Stetsman. Again, he did practice on Monday. His status, though, we won't know until Saturday. It sounds like he'll be a game day decision. But, you know, 15 tackles for Kip Lewis. Uh, Kobe McKenzie is that physical, physical linebacker that's not afraid of contact. Uh, just both of them just need more reps, more uh, a little bit more everything. I was impressed with both of them, the way they play. And moving forward, you're in good shape at that linebacker room. Uh, you know, we don't know what Stephen's going to do next year, if he's coming back or not. But uh, this was a key game for those two linebackers. Um, but going back to the, the the Bedlam game, you know, if you give up 27 points, I really think you win that game. You should win that game. I know 27 is kind of a big number, but you think about it. Uh, probably the biggest stop of this defense was holding them to three points when it was 24-21 and the, the offense gave the ball away in the red zone uh, and to hold OSU to three and out and, and place your strongest there. That was huge. Um, and going down the line, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you about one other player, but I want to just mention Billy Bowman. Uh, you know, he's a guy who's just been playing well. I mean, we every week he plays well, and we don't talk about it enough because he's been such an anchor in that secondary. I think that's been huge for the Sooners. He play, came up big again against the Cowboys with the interception. Uh, I, I really have been impressed with him, and I don't know if he gets the credit he deserves for with the way he's playing because you just become uh, familiar with how consistent he is. You don't talk about him because he's so consistent. So i uh, just been impressed with Billy Bowman. One player I did want to ask you about, and you wrote about him today, was Robert Spears Jennings, the Broken Arrow High School graduate, who uh, Brent Venables had so much nice things to say about him. You asked Brent in the press conference about Spears Jennings, and, and Brent kind of went off on how excited he, are, he is about his future. But uh, Robert Spears Jennings, down the stretch, be, could become an important factor in this defense. Right. Obviously, Billy Bowman's going to be that anchor, but Last week, you were in a situation where Reggie Pearson was suspended for the first half because of his uh, targeting penalty the week before. And obviously, you know, Peyton Bowen, uh, really ever since coming back from the bye week, just has not been fully healthy. It's really unfortunate that they can't probably play him as many snaps as they'd like to uh, because of what's going on with his leg injury. And then Key Lawrence, you know, left that Bedlam game banged up, went to the locker room, only played 10 snaps, uh, was also had a missed tackle and was kind of struggling early on in that game. So Robert Spears Jennings is a young guy that, you know, only a sophomore, a really good special teams player. He's, he's been killing some, like he's literally been obliterating kick returners the past couple of weeks, just decking guys. And finally, you know, played a career high in snaps in Bedlam, had a big fourth down stop to blitz off the edge and, and pull Ollie Gordon down. Uh, short of the line to gain and and create a turnover on downs for the OU defense. So, you know, he's he's someone that that they like and that's, you know, probably going to continue to factor into this secondary. And obviously continuing to develop him is is important for your future because, you know, you get into the SEC, you're going to want to have these quality physical safeties. And obviously this is Reggie Pearson's last year. Key Lawrence only has probably one year of eligibility left after this. Uh, so there's, you know, the the safety room is going to continue to move a little bit for OU as they enter the SEC. And Robert Spears Jennings is, is a, you know, a young guy that, that they can uh, rely on those first couple of years there in their new conference if he continues to develop and trend the way he, he has so far and the way they think he's going to. 
special teams player of the year, I guess. It sounds like he's got the he's got a good leg up on that too. And uh, what did what did Brent say? Uh, never wants to come off the field. Wants to stay on the field no matter what. Never wants to come off the field. And you know, as a defensive minded coach, you got to really enjoy that. Um, Gentry Williams uh, injured against uh, Oklahoma State. He's scheduled to practice. He was scheduled to practice uh, yesterday, right? Tuesday. We're taping this on Wednesday. Uh, and uh, I, we talked about this on Saturday night. Uh, Brent said shoulder popped out of socket, put it back in. God, that just sounds painful. Just go out there and do just, you know. But Gentry Williams, we've seen the impact he has on this defense. We, you, you speak about playing fearless. That's kind of how Gentry is. He, he really is a fearless player. So that's that's a key uh, key thing for the Sooners. The defense will, will fa face a really talented veteran offensive line in West Virginia. This is a team that plays really well. And uh, Brent Venables mentioned that, you know, Neil Brown probably says the offensive line is their strength. So I think this is going to be another one of those key uh, win the game in the trenches. And the defensive line is going to have a lot to say with the outcome of this game. So I'm interested to see how the, they come up to the challenge of playing West Virginia uh, and again, we mentioned this isn't the same West Virginia team that we've seen in years past. I mean, this is a West Virginia team that beat Oklahoma last year. So there's probably in the back of OU's minds, you know, there's that revenge factor, too, to kind of avenge last year's loss in Morgantown. Uh, so I, I just think that the key matchup is the, is going to be, you know, that offensive line against OU's defensive line. OU's going to have to get some push. They're going to have to make plays. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a, a quarterback, too, at West Virginia that's going to – a true dual threat quarterback, too, that's going to test you a little bit in that, too. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how the defense plays against the Mountaineers. Yeah, one of the things that I think we could have – you know, obviously we didn't get to it yesterday with Brent Venables because, you know, we were so offensive-focused. We were asking a lot of questions about, you know, why why the offense has gone awry and what his involvement is in in that and trying to fix that. Uh, but you sit here and look at it, uh, the, the defense, um, I believe, you know, back-to-back -back games with no sacks. And I think it was like the first time that it happened since like the early 2000s. And, and so obviously there there's something wrong there that you know they're having trouble getting pressure on the quarterback after you know they really had a lot of success in that regard towards the middle part of the season especially having uh, five sacks in the Texas game so yeah it, it will be very interesting um, to see if they're able to what the front is able to do against this West Virginia offensive line if they can get pressure on Garrett Green but then the other problem you have to account for is that he is a mobile quarterback and he ran all over this OU team in Morgantown last year. In fact, him coming in in the second half of that game and, and replacing JT Daniels for West Virginia was honestly probably the difference in that game. Shifted the entire dynamic of the game, put OU's defense on its heels because they didn't know what he was going to do. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's the same concern and the same warning going this week. We have talked about, you know, previously this season that the uh, quote-unquote uh, mobile quarterback curse that has kind of plagued OU's defense for the past couple of years it really has not been as much of a, a thing this year. really hasn't been too bad. Uh, you know, Jason Bean got out and scrambled on him a little bit uh, in the Kansas game, but and, and Cardell Williams in the Tulsa game made some, some plays, you know, by moving his feet. But by and large um, – yeah, hasn't stung them as much as it, it has in past years, but 
you know, Garrett Green is going to put another test to that. And and hopefully, you know, with everything that they they did last year and the the development and fine-tuning that they've had since then on defense, that, you know, they're ready for that, that they have all the tape they need to be able to account for that this time around and not let him single-handedly beat them um, on the ground like he did in Morgantown last year. And, you know, this this West Virginia team, we talk about Garrett Green, uh, they're – they ran for 140 or more rushing yards in 12 straight games, which is the longest uh, Power Five conference streak right now. So that's something else. Uh, just stopping the run, not getting caught up with play action pass. There's so much going on to this game. The defense is going to have to be disciplined. Well, again, two weeks ago, we were talking about Big 12 scenarios and what Oklahoma had to do to get to Arlington again on their last year in the Big 12. Now we're looking at it. They need a lot of help. Uh, they got to win out first and first and foremost. They got to win out, which is, is easier said than done with the way that they've played these last two weeks. I mean, they're more than capable, but they're going to have to play up to their potential and, and take care of business these three games. And then to get to Arlington, they're going to need Kansas to lose a game, and they're going to need Texas to lose a game. That those two things happen, and you went out. You're back in Arlington. All your goals are still in front of you, and. You know, during the Drake, Drake Stoops interview, Drake mentioned that, you know, there's so much stuff uh, that's crazy stuff that happens in college football that, uh, you know, you 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 just wonder what's going to happen these next couple of weeks. So if you're an Oklahoma fan, don't give up all hope. Uh, I'm, you know, be unbiased. I don't care who wins or loses. I've been like, like that my whole career. But in the back of my head, I'd love to see a Bedlam game down in Arlington for the Big 12 title. I mean, then that could happen if OSU wins out and those other scenarios happen for Oklahoma. We could see a Bedlam game in Arlington, which would be an incredible, uh, incredible finish. Uh, uh, and I'm really surprised, Mason, all these years when they started the Big 12 championship game, that was a gimme that those two teams would play for the Big 12 title one year. It's never happened. So I would love to see it happen at least once. So in a way, I, I, you know, it, whatever happens, happens. But I think it would be pretty cool to see that game. Yeah, that would definitely be fun. You know, it's it's just a matter of, you know, what does it take to make it happen? You look at the remaining the remaining schedules of, you know, the teams that have to lose in Kansas and Texas. Uh, Kansas gets Kansas State still. You know, that that is a home game in Lawrence, and you kind of wonder if having home field advantage might help Kansas out. In that regard, Kansas State also hasn't been quite as good this year as everybody thought they would be. But, uh, you know, that that will be one to watch in the second to last, last week of the season. So next week, that'll definitely be one to watch uh, for OU fans. And then Texas, uh, you know, thinking about it, uh, I looked at their last three. Their last three, you know, is TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. You feel like Iowa State has the best shot there. Uh, and obviously, if Iowa State would win, you know, OU has the tiebreaker over them, so that helps. And they also would have the tiebreaker over Texas. Uh, but uh, the the problem, uh, the the thing I think about too, actually not the problem, but actually the good thing is, you know, Texas Tech beat Texas last year. Like I don't really know how they did it, but they they pulled it off. It was early. It was like week four. It was actually the week before uh, the Red River Showdown last year. And, uh, you know, maybe they can do it again. I don't think they're nearly as good a team this year as they were last year. But, you know, maybe they can, they can pull it off. So you know, there, there is definitely, I would say, for OU fans, some room to be optimistic that those dominoes actually could fall. And we could actually end up with a Bedlam Big 12 championship game. Uh, but it, it definitely is going to be tough. 
uh, I think especially to beat Texas here in these final three games. The one thing that, you know, kind of gives you some encouragement is uh, I think Texas's game against Kansas State last week that they barely won, obviously, because of Kansas State, you know, shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, I think Texas also had some moments in that game where, you know, it's kind of similar to the OU offense. They struggled to put the game away in key situations. They had opportunities for their offense to take advantage, and they didn't do it. So, you know, you know whether or not they get that fixed or that that begs more problems for them in the final three weeks of the regular season is is anybody's guess. But uh, you know, like I said beforehand, I think you can you can take some courage in in knowing that there's at least a chance you know, that the dominoes might fall around OU to get it into the Big 12 championship game if it wins out. Oklahoma versus West Virginia, 6 o'clock Memorial Stadium night game, the final night game, Big 12 night game for the Sooners because we already know the TCU game is going to be an 11 a.m. kick on Black Friday. So OU versus West Virginia. Let's switch gears before we wrap up. Uh, signing day, today's signing day. And uh, basketball, you're going to be headed to the metropolis of Dell, Oklahoma for a big signing for the Sooners. Uh, this is a player that Oklahoma's excited about. And it, a local, I, I, I think back of Brady Manic, the Brady Manic years, how a guy out of Hera came down and made an impact for the Sooners. I think about how those, don't overlook just the size of the town these kids come from. They can still make huge impacts. And that's kind of what Brady Manic did. And we'll see what happens uh, right here. Yeah, you know, Dayton Forsyth from Dale already has, had a, a major impact on his community and also just, uh, you know, basketball in the state of Oklahoma. It kind of when all his his offers started flooding in was, uh, you know, around this time a year or so ago when uh, Dale played in the Tournament of Champions at the BOK Center and, and they knocked off a bunch of larger schools and were one of the smallest schools, a 2A school that won, one of the smallest schools that won that tournament since the 90s. And the offers from OU and OSU and Wake Forest came pouring in. And, you know, he's a kid that dreamed of of playing for OU and and decided to ink up with, with Porter Moser and the Sooners. And, you know, this is a guy that uh, in an era where, you know, the transfer portal is so prevalent in college basketball and such of a factor, this is someone that, you know, by all accounts that I've heard, you know, wants to stick it out at OU for four to five years, you know, wants to be committed to the program long-term and to be, you know, an impactful point guard for this program for several years. And so uh, we'll be, will be fun to, uh, you know, get out and talk to him today as, as he makes it official, just about how he's feeling about uh, going to Oklahoma and what he thinks he can accomplish there. The Oklahoma women are expected to have at least one signing today. Zaya Van, who is the younger sister of Skylar Van, the two-time sixth person of the year in the Big 12. Uh, I had a chance to talk to Skylar last week, and she's so excited about her sister joining the Sooners. Uh, and I think this is more of a also a credit to the family. Bryant Van, uh, their father, who taught him basketball, who trained him, uh, he's a former Oklahoma Sooner who played under Billy Tubbs. So this is a family tradition almost going to Oklahoma. So Zaya Van, a guard, uh, 5'9 guard uh, out of Bethany High School. Uh, it looks like she's headed to Oklahoma. We'll sign and make that official today. Uh, let's switch gears real quick, if you don't mind. Give me a second. Let's go to softball. A big day for the Sooners, the three-time defending national champions, 
they're going to easily have the number one recruiting class in the country uh, with what they're signing. They have eight players coming in. They're basically reloading. Uh, and it, it's pretty incredible what Patty Gassel has built. And when you have success, you're going to draw the eyes of the top recruits in the country. And not only did they get the eyes of them, they're getting the, the, the signatures of them, too. Uh, I'm going to write a story for tomorrow on Chaney Helton out of Coweta High School, center fielder, one of the best in the country in the outfield. Uh, she was going to go to OU no matter what, it sounds like, and talk to her. This was her dream school. Uh, when the offer came after uh, she went to a couple camps at OU, she she jumped at the chance to say yes. Uh, she's going to sign this afternoon at 210 at Coweta High School. Uh, one of two Oklahomans that are staying at, uh, that are signing with the Sooners, uh, you know, and that's something else that she had mentioned too. Uh, there's there's a legacy there at Oklahoma where you want to make sure that you you represent the state, and that's what that she's taking special pride in. Uh, she's joining joining Katie McKay uh, out of Caddo as the two uh, two of the eight that are signing and staying home for the Sooners. Uh, the player to watch, I think, in this recruiting class, and it's hard to pick one over any of the others, is Audrey Lowry, the pitcher from Indiana. Uh, they're, they're just uh, you get some of the top pitchers in the country and interested in Oklahoma and that's what they did. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how she does uh, next year. And the crazy thing is we're not going to see these players for another year. I mean, this is this November, they won't be on campus until uh, this summer. So, uh, but this really bodes well for the future of Oklahoma softball. Right. You know, obviously having a chance of four P as national champions this, this spring and continue to build up that dynasty, but you know, you don't you don't want that to be the end of things. You you want to be able to continue to to be the the national powerhouse that everybody looks to and reveres. And obviously, you know, having this recruiting class is is a big part of it. You know, we'll uh, we'll also get out to you know see their last uh, fall ball uh, scrimmage of the of the fall uh, tomorrow night, and will be interesting to hear Patty Gasso kind of wrap up the fall and, and see what she says about what strides she feels like her team needs to make uh, before they, they gear up for the season in the spring. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap it up there. Uh, busy, busy, busy Wednesday today. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the month goes for Oklahoma football, uh, Oklahoma basketball. Of course, they're uh, both men's and women's teams are one and zero after wins on Monday. Uh, so it's basketball season is that, double double beat for uh, Mason and me where we've got two things going at once it's that that combination but it, it should be exciting for both the men and women's basketball programs as well well thank you for listening today uh reminder google spotify apple wherever platform you use uh, you can hear us every week we'll have a post-game podcast after saturday's game against west virginia don't know what's going to happen we'll see we'll break it down and then next week we'll come back and rally through everything from the post-game press conferences as well as the Monday and Tuesday availabilities with players and coaches. Thanks again, TulsaWorld.com. You can read all our content as well. Everybody have a good week.